This is Pangea, where media meets the world. I'm your host, Jacqueline Schiff. I'm excited to bring you this episode uh, with a person who happens to be a good friend of mine. My name is Alexis Grant, and I'm an entrepreneurial writer and a digital strategist. So I used to work as a journalist, and I thought I'd work as a journalist forever, um, but I ended up leaving my day job at U.S. News & World Report about two years ago um, to pursue my own business full-time. So I brought Alexis on the podcast to talk about an ebook she put together, How to Take a Career Break to Travel, which offers tips, strategies, and advice for how to leave your job or take a leave of absence of some sort for a long-term travel opportunity. In Alexis' case, she left the Houston Chronicle to travel through Africa for several months. And so we chat about that and some of the, the most practical advice uh, she has for how you could do something similar. So if you're the kind of person who has um, a bit of the travel bug and is itching to step away from uh, that full-time job and day-to-day responsibilities to see the world or see the world differently than how you usually see it, I think you'll get a lot out of this interview um, and uh, we, we talk a lot about um, sort of the practical aspect of this, um, the financials, you know, and how to overcome uh, those things that we think are barriers to make it happen. And um, since Alexis is um, such an awesome blogger, writer, and journalist, we also get a lot at that media perspective. And one of the big questions is travel writing. You know, if you have writing uh, or blogging skills, is there an opportunity to travel and combine those interests and um, and skills and kind of make money as you go? Um, so that's something we get into in the interview as well. I'm going to stop babbling on and let you uh, let you get to it, but um, I also just want to take a minute to say thanks for downloading the show, and if you like what you're hearing on Pangea, I hope you'll let others know as well. For now, though, enjoy the, the interview with Alexis Grant. In 2008, you left your reporting job um, at the Houston Chronicle to take a six-month trip through Africa. What made you decide to take that leap? Well, it was something that I had always thought about. I knew I wanted to take an extended trip um, to travel for longer than a week or a month where you had to kind of think about what was going to happen when you got home and um, where I was – you know, you're still bogged down a little bit by all the responsibilities that tie you down at home when you take a short vacation. So I knew I wanted to take a longer trip that would allow me to kind of unplug and really experience the place where I was traveling. Um, I would also kind of I'd met some some folks on shorter trips overseas who had taken longer trips, who had left everything, who had left their jobs um, left their homes to travel, and I was really, really um, impressed and curious um, about what that would feel like. So 
I guess that that's what kind of first got me thinking about this is when I met a couple in New Zealand who had left everything behind. And I started thinking about what that kind of trip would look like for me. Right, right. And in, in terms of the planning, how long did it personally take you from, you know, getting the idea, thinking about how to really make it happen and actually making it happen? Well, I think I sort of I met that couple um, when I was doing a semester abroad in New Zealand, which was in 2000, the end of 2004. So that's when I first got the idea in my head. And I definitely didn't think it was going to be something that ha would happen right away. So I graduated from journalism school in 2005. I still had this idea in the back of my head, but I felt like since I had just earned a master's degree, I needed to get some work experience under my belt. So that's when I started working for the Houston Chronicle. Um, I really focused on work for those. I was there for three years, and I really focused on working there for two or two and a half of those years. Um, and I think after two years is when I started thinking about, okay, maybe it's time for me to start planning this trip. Um, I started saving, well, I had been saving money the whole time, but I started looking more closely at my finances to see how close I could be. And I kind of set a goal for myself that after three years there, that's when I would take the trip. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so were those savings always like specifically – uh, for that trip or like you were just generally saving? No, I was just generally saving. Uh -huh. um, I was living in Houston, which is pretty cheap to live in. And so I was saving a good amount of money for someone who is on a um, relatively entry level salary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to talk more about uh, about the ebook, um, you know, your ebook, which focuses on um, your experience from the trip that you took. And uh, also research from others who'd done uh, something similar to this. And in the first part of the book, um, you spend some time going over a few common reasons why people don't think they can take a few months off to travel. And and I think one of the big things that always comes up, um, and let me know if this isn't true, but is finances is <laughs> probably a big concern for people. You know, how can I actually afford to do that? So, you know, what what do you say to people who who say that they don't have enough money to do this. Yeah, sure. That is a huge concern and I call that in in the ebook I call um I call it a big but. It's it's a but that comes up when people say but I can't go because of this. Um and I think the first step is really just kind of throwing all those buts out the window um just because this isn't a something that everyone does and it's kind of people think it's sort of crazy to take extended time off of your job or out of your life to do something cool um, doesn't mean that it's not attainable. So um, first, you've got to kind of get used to the idea of thinking outside that box that society has created for us and realizing that it is actually possible if you if you make it work for you. Um, and so in terms of the money aspect, um, just like all of the butts that I go over in the ebook, what you've really got to do is is break it down into the nitty gritty um, steps and figure out how can you get from here to where you want to be. And one of the first things is really figuring out how much a trip like this would cost. Um, and the truth is, it doesn't have to be super expensive, especially if you're a frugal traveler. Um, and and also depending on which what place you're you're going to be going, you're not going to be spending a ton of money like. Um, you know, somebody might if they're going to Hawaii for a one week vacation. When you travel over time, um, you can really 
um, you can make your money stretch a lot further. So one of the first things is is figuring out realistically how much this kind of trip might actually cost. And, and, and um, so how did mm-hmm. you how did you do that? Like, did you talk to other people who had done this before? Well, to be honest, it was really a guess. Um, I. I did a lot of research online. Um, I There's a great book out there called The Practical Nomad, which goes over a lot of the practicalities behind taking a trip like this. Um, so I just – I really estimated. Um, and and a, big, a big piece of the cost mm-hmm. is airfare, um, depending on where you're going again. But if you can figure out – how much your airfare is going to cost, which which you can ahead of time, um, that's going to be a big chunk. And then I think I just thought to myself, okay, look, it's going to cost me. I figured it would be about a thousand dollars a month, um, and I was away for six months. Um, so a thousand dollars a month, like living expenses. Yes, um, mm-hmm. and that's on top of you know my big expenses like flight. Um, on top of like visa expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that cover, I, I expected that to cover generally like my sleeping arrangements and I was staying in inexpensive places. Um, we should mention that I was traveling in Africa. So um, a lot yeah, of places. And, and, like, and which I, countries did you specifically visit, Lexi? So I did West Africa. I started in um, Senegal, went over to Mali, uh, then Burkina Faso and Ghana. And then I hopped down to Cameroon and I had ties there from from um, my college career because I had studied abroad there during college. Mm-hmm. And then I did a week in South Africa and then two months in Madagascar. So I was really kind of all over the place, um, mostly Western, Central, and Southern Africa. Um, but a lot of those places are cheap, but some of them aren't actually as cheap as you'd think they would be. <laughs> like Mali is, well, Mali isn't really a great place to travel to at the very mo- at the moment, but right. um, generally it's like not as cheap as you'd think because there are, um, they have a bit of a tourist economy there. So it really depends on which places you're going. But that $1,000 that I really guesstimated, mm-hmm. um, I'd spend a month. I ended up just about sticking to that um, because I think my time in West Africa was more expensive. But then when I was in Cameroon, I was staying with a couple of different host families, so I didn't have to pay for accommodation. So things like that. Um, and then Madagascar is also very cheap. So it all it ended up being close to what I estimated. But then I also estimated this is something big for your readers to remember is that you have to have money when you come back to hold you over until you get a job. And so that needs to be um, a big chunk, almost as big as it cost to actually do the traveling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder, is one of the ways to have money when you get back or, you know, one of the things you talk about is maybe making money while you're traveling? Yes. So at this, I guess this also applies to, um, to, ha- to having enough money to take a trip like this, a lot of people think, oh, I need to save um, or I need to cut down on my expenses so I can save more money. What I advocate is making more money. So um, whether it's before you leave or while you're traveling, what can you do that's going to help you make money um, so you can increase um, – you know, how much you have that way rather than trying to be frugal. Um, and, and I think trying to make more money rather than trying to save more money mm-hmm. is a lot. Of, it's, it's a lot more effective sometimes because you, you have a lot bigger margin. 
Right. So, so you're talking about before, you know, while you're planning this trip and whatever, supplementing your income with other sources of income. Exactly. I really love the idea of having a side hustle. Um, and that's something that I ended up doing after I got back from my trip. Um, I didn't do it before, before I left because as I mentioned earlier, I, I was saving a lot while working at my job. But then while I was traveling, I was also, um, I was working. I was working as a journalist, but I wasn't bringing in a ton of money. And I, I like to be upfront about that because a lot of people will be, are traveling and you, you see them writing online. They're writing for blogs or, um, newspapers or whatever. And they kind of give the illusion that they're making, you know, a good amount of money that's covering their travels. Mm -hmm. And the truth is what I made while I was, traveling was not even close to covering the cost of my trip. Um, and it was really more for the experience, um, for the clips than it was for the money. Although it's always nice to have, um, to earn some extra money while you're traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and then I wanted to ask you more about the, um, writing while traveling, because I think for, you know, a lot of, uh, media makers, um, me included, I mean, travel writing sounds like a really fun way to generate some income, uh, while you're abroad. And, you know, even if, even if it's not a huge amount, um, you know, how, how realistic is that for someone who considers themselves uh, a decent writer to do some writing for the travel industry for, you know, uh, book, travel books or websites or whatever? Well, there are people out there who make it work, but I don't think that it's a very feasible option if you actually really want to make some money. Um, writing is, an, is a feasible option. Travel writing is not super lucrative um, and maybe used to be more lucrative, yeah. um, but it's not as much as it used to be. So you definitely can write about travel and you can write about your experiences, but I think um, making money as a travel writer um isn't as easy as it used to be. So you've got to kind of find other ways to make your money. So for example, um, I wrote a story. Um, so I basically, I was gone for six months and my goal was to write one story and sell one story each month. Okay. Um, I didn't want to be working the whole time I was traveling. I wanted to have fun and kind of be living in the moment. Um, but one of the stories I wrote was for the Houston Chronicle, which is, um, the publication that I was at before I left and I covered in Burkina Faso. Um, I wrote a story about an AIDS clinic that was there that was operated by a group um, that was based in Houston. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to tie it back to, um, to make it local for, for the Houston newspaper. And um, I guess you could, you could kind of say that sort of travel writing because I was obviously traveling. I got to see a new place, experience a new culture, and I was writing about something that was going on there, but it wasn't writing about place. So it wasn't strictly, um, writing about travel. Right, right. I, yeah, I guess travel writing can be kind of a vague thing. I think, I think what most people think when, um, when they use that is, you know, reviewing, hotel experiences or, right. you know, writing about certain destinations or something like that. But to, to me, it sounds more like your experience was maybe like, you know, having a foreign correspondent experience or something. Yes, like definitely. It was more journalistic. Mm -hmm. Um, I did also blog and that, that's kind of when my blog got its start. Um, I wasn't intending to blog for a big audience. Uh, I was just really doing it for my family and friends, but it started kind of taking on a life of its own. Um, and, and that, that turned into 
you know, what today is my online business. Wow. Well, so, so you basically specifically started the blog to share your experiences with family and friends. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just knew that I'd have things that I wanted, would want to write about. Yeah. I mean, for a lot, like a lot of people in your audience, writing's really in my blood. I feel like I, I get more out of experiences when I write, when I write through them, really. Um, and so keeping the blog, it just, it helped me, um, it helped me get more out of my experience when I was traveling. Yeah. Had you blogged before? No, I hadn't. Um, and actually I remember now kind of being prodded at the newspaper because it was sort of, it, this was in two, um, like 2007. I left in 2008. Um, so in 2007, you know, blogs are kind of taking off and um, a lot of reporters are being asked to start blogging. And I definitely resisted it a little bit at the beginning because I was, um, I was still in the age of I write a daily story every day, right. um, and it was enough work for me to really get out there, get the story, get back, write it on deadline, and to be asked to kind of blog on top of that seemed like like a lot of work. Um, so I definitely didn't expect to to become um, someone who now blogs for a living. Wow, I, I actually I didn't know that about you. That's interesting. Yep. <laughs> um, so going back to the to, uh, to the blogging, I mean, while you were away, did you did you market it at all? Um, you know, how, how did it start gaining traction? I guess because yeah, you know, if if you take a look today at alexisgrant.com, it's obviously the centerpiece of your business. So I'm I'm kind of curious how that started taking off, and maybe you know what even made you want to continue with it after you traveled. Well, I think what what happened was. There were some people who, um, for example, like some of my sources in Houston, mm-hmm. I, I sent out, I just sent an email out when I was leaving saying, Hey guys, I'm going to be, I'm going to be blogging at this URL. And some of those people who, um, didn't know me particularly well started following along and were just really interested in, in the stories, um, and what it was like in these different African countries. Um, and then maybe pass it along to friends. So it wasn't like it was taking on a huge readership. Um, but, it started get, getting me in the habit of writing for online, which um, was new to me at that point, and also writing in a much much more conversational voice. Mm-hmm. And that voice has really morphed since then. Um, I've become a lot more comfortable with the first person and with being kind of open and honest and vulnerable online. That wasn't something that I had a lot of practice with as a journalist. Um so that was kind of my segue into that. And then as uh, in terms of when I got back, I actually um I I stopped blogging for a few months and it took me a while to pick it up again because I didn't know what the heck I would blog about if I wasn't traveling. And I had really built a travel blog at that point mm-hmm. and I just didn't believe in having a travel blog if I wasn't on the move. And so I didn't know what it was going to turn into. Um and I eventually picked it up and um turned it into more of a, I, I started out as a writing blog and it's, it's morphed now into, um, I write more about careers and making your own luck. And there's a lot of writing in there as well, since I am a writer. Um, and I think a lot of the people who were with me at the beginning, when I first started that writing blog have stuck with me. So I, I do have a, a large audience of writers who read the blog. Um, but it was definitely a struggle trying to figure out at first how I'd make that transition into blogging at home. One of the um, things you've written about on your blog and uh, in the ebook 
that I, I personally actually really enjoy is how taking a career break to travel can actually help your career in the long term. So explain yes, how that works. Totally. And this is something I get really excited about because, um, it falls into that category I was talking about earlier, which is, um, you know, not letting society define what you do with your life. Um, a lot of us assume that if we leave the workforce for, for six months or a year, that everything's going to fall to pieces and we won't be able to pick up our career where we started. And the truth is, um, if you go into a career break with, with some purpose, which what I like to call kind of a mission, um, you can actually use that to help your career more down the line, whether that's making a pivot in your career, um, maybe just getting a refreshed perspective and feeling better about going back to work when you are there. Um, and sometimes, you know, if you spin it right, if you, if you project, if you talk, talk about your career break with confidence and kind of show how it's turned you into a better worker rather than, you know, I was just kind of lazy for six months and took time out to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, it might actually help an employer want to hire you because employers want to hire go-getters. They want to hire people who go after what they want and accomplish things that they want to get accomplished. And if you've proven that by showing that you can take some time out to um, do what you want, maybe also gain some skills along the way, that can be really appealing to an employer. Yeah. I, I think the point you make about just how you talk about it is so important. I, I have a friend uh, from South Africa who took a year off and and what I find most interesting about this is he's actually, um, you know, I think this is, and a, a lot of the advice that you give obviously is, you know, from your experience and um, very a applicable to writers and, and people in similar types of professions. Um, he was actually an actuary. So, you know, crunching numbers and doing mm -hmm. statistics and all that. And, you know, took a year off to travel um, and didn't really have a plan for when he came back. And mm -hmm. when the, um, the employer uh, he was working with um, planned to expand in Asia and was looking for someone who really understood the business but had some international experience and, you know, uh, experience dealing with different cultures, he was able to, um, he actually got that job. Um, and That's is now, so cool. <laughs> yeah. And is now working out of Hong Kong, you know, and it's not that he was even working uh, while, while he was taking the year off. I think a lot of it is just how you're able to sell yourself and, and sell your experience when you come back. Yeah, exactly. And obviously he had something that was appealing to, to that employer. So it really is about, talking about it with confidence and just knowing how what you've done can be applied to, you know, the next job. And you don't, I think when you go into a career break, it's good to have some sense of what skills you might learn or what experience mm -hmm. you might gain or what mission you might go on. Um, even if, like I said, my mission was only writing six six um, articles over six months. It doesn't have to kind of take over your entire trip. Um, but if you have some sense going in, that's going to help you tremendously. And then honestly, serendipity plays a huge role too. I mean, you can help kind of, um, you can help put some of those pieces into place ahead of time, but being able to be adaptable and flexible and not only take opportunities as you're traveling, but also when you get back, see how those opportunities can turn into work opportunities. Um, it can actually work in your favor. 
Sure, sure. And so, um, w- with the ebook, um, this is one of many ebooks that you've published. And, you know, I can imagine people who are listening, you know, might want to do something similar, have a travel experience and then, you know, write about it and maybe try sell it online. And I'm curious how this, um, ebook has done compared to other ones you've written. Um, it, it, you actually, know, from the uh, finances and selling perspective, mm-hmm. it actually hasn't done well compared to my other eBooks. Um, I looked up some of the numbers in preparation for this interview, and my most popular eBook, which is about um, how to start a social media business, mm-hmm. has sold about 850 copies, um, and that sells at a $24 price point. This. This career break guide sells for $29 and I've only sold like 30 copies or so. I, I mean, it's, they've been out almost for the same amount of time. I think the career break one may have come out. It probably actually was about nine months after the earlier one. Yeah. Um, but I, I've thought about this a lot. Um, because I get really good feedback on the career break guide and I've never had a refund request for this guide. Um, and so. I think there's a couple reasons here and stuff, good things to, for your audience to keep in mind if they do want to turn, um, their experiences or their advice into an ebook. Um, I think the main thing is this is a pretty niche topic. I mean, not a lot of people, not a lot of Americans, especially, are thinking about taking career breaks. It's just kind of not part of our lifestyle. Um, and when you when you create a product, you don't want to create something that you have to convince people that they want. <laughs> you need to create something that they already want and when they go looking for, either you're top of mind or you're top of Google. Um, and that's why my, my ebook about how to start a social media business um, does well. And I also have one about how to create a... Um, how to create a social media strategy that does awesome too, because lots of people are looking to do that and you know, they find the ebook and, and they purchase it. Whereas the career break guide, um, you know, there are some people out there who want to do this, but um, it's a much, much smaller. Right. Um, and it's sort of, of I think it's probably like the sort of thing where you, you hear someone else do it and you think, Oh, that would be so great. But it's yeah, yeah. I guess, and that's where I think most of my sales have come actually from affiliates. Because I also I don't promote this book a lot. Um, I kind of this was kind of a passion project for me, so I wasn't expecting it to make a ton of money. Um, and I love having it in my my bookshelf, but it's not something that I I promote a lot because I don't think that it's going to bring in as much money as my other products. Um, but so most of my sales I think actually come from affiliates who are travel bloggers and they sell it on their site. So people, their readers are reading about how awesome their experience was and then looking for a research resource to help them do the same. And that's why they buy the guide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I'm curious, uh, knowing what you know now, is there a way might you have given the book a slightly different angle or, um, marketed it differently, um, just with these, uh, you know, these insights we've just discussed that, you know, this isn't specifically something people are looking for. Sure. Well, there's one thing in particular that I would do, and I could actually go back and do now if I wanted to put the time and effort into it. Sure. Um, and that is um, career break is not a SEO friendly term. Uh-huh. Uh, 
it's so people don't like unless you're in the career break industry, which some people are, you wouldn't really know what a career break is. So it's a terrible word to use in, in, in a title. Um, and that's why it's only bought by people who actually know that they want to do this type of thing. What I would what I should probably be calling it is how to quit your job to travel or something along those lines, which is a much better because a lot of my sales also come from search. Um, and it's actually good you asked me that question because <laughs> <laughs> that makes me realize like even more that that's something I should go back and do because it's a small tweak for me. Yeah. And it would probably result if, if, I mean, it still takes promotion. So it's not like just by changing the title, it's going to pop to the top of Google. I'd still have to do work um, to get it there, but right. that's, that's a headline that it could actually work for. Yeah. Well, and now you've also uh, explained me how it explained to me how I should title this post. Yes. <laughs> when it goes, when it goes up. Um, that's, that's really interesting. Go- going back to, you know, your experience and, um, how you've made it work for your career. One, one of the ways you've, you've done that is by uh, writing a travel memoir about your time in Africa. Um, and you've also blogged about the, the struggles you've had with getting it published. Um, it seems like it's, you know, been, not that you didn't think it was a challenge, but even more of a challenge than you might have anticipated. So h- how's that been going? Where do things stand? Mm-hmm. So when I got back from my trip, which was at the very beginning of 2009, <clears throat> I I moved in with my parents at the age of 28 because I, I knew I didn't want to get a full-time job. Instead, I wanted to write a book. And this was something that I thought about doing. Um, I considered it before I'd left for the trip, but I didn't actually decide to do it until my last few days of the trip. And I just realized, yeah, this was a great experience out of a lot of stories. And I would really like to write something long form about this. So I set out writing to writing a travel memoir and I focused solely on doing that for about 15 months. Um, I ended up, I landed an agent, a literary agent. So basically, if you want to publish a book traditionally, Mm -hmm. um, generally you need to have a literary agent who represents you. um, And then you, that literary agent tries to sell it to a publisher. Excuse me. And for a lot of us, getting the literary agent is, is actually like the hardest part because, um, they're the gatekeepers. So it's really hard to get um, to get an agent. And that's kind of the first step. So I felt good about having that. Um, but then my agent couldn't sell the book. Um, well, and, and so, how long did she spend, um, I guess, trying to sell it? Um, gosh, maybe a year. Um, mm-hmm. but we didn't pitch a, we didn't, we, we pitched kind of editors selectively, um, maybe 25 editors at the most over that year. Um, so it was, it moves at a very slow pace because you kind of put out a few submissions and then you wait for them to respond and then maybe you make a revision based on the responses you get or whatever. So it's a very, very painstakingly slow process. Um, and near, by the end of it, like things had changed for me drastically. I, um, you know, when I went into this, when I first started writing this book and deciding that I wanted to publish it traditionally, I didn't even have a job. I was at home writing this book. Um, between the point when I started writing the book and now, I I also I worked for a year at U.S. News and World Report covering the job market, um, and then I started my own business online. And so, um, since I've a built a platform for myself and B, uh, and by platform, I mean, um, 
like I have a lot of people who read my blog or subscribe to my newsletter, a large network. Um, and B, I've kind of, you know, launched into self-publishing. So I offer my own ebooks online and they're not really, they're definitely not the same kind of ebook as a travel memoir because, you know, that, that caliber of memoir took me 15 months to write and I don't spend 15 months on every one of my eBooks. Um, so it's a, it's a, in my mind, it's a kind of a different industry, but I do understand now the self publishing model and, um, the way that traditional publishing is changing. And, and when I realized how, um, not fun it was to have my book in someone else's hands, um, I, it was really frustrating for me. So, um, Basically where it stands now, and I, I have a blog post that I'd encourage your readers to check out. Maybe we can include the link at the bottom of the interview yeah, or something because um, it's been really popular. But um, I called it something like when you have to admit that you failed because when I first started writing this book, everyone talked about how hard it is to get a book published traditionally. And I knew that it would not be easy for me, but I kind of figured if I tried my hardest – you know, it would happen. Um, and that didn't pan out. And so it was, it was, it was really disappointing on one hand. On the other hand, it was really freeing. Um, because I realized that maybe traditional publishing, um, and not having the autonomy that I have now, um, with my business, um, it maybe wasn't the right route for me. Not to say that if some big publisher wanted to buy the book, I would say no. Um, but at this point, I realized kind of the positives to possibly getting it out there on my own. So what that post, when I wrote that post on my blog, um, you know, my readers wanted to know, okay, great. So you're going to self-publish. And what I told them was I do want to self-publish the, the travel memoir, but not right now. And the reason I say not right now is because I don't really feel like it's ready. I think if we couldn't get someone to buy it um, – there was a reason and it needs more work. And, you know, to be frank about it, like right now, I'm just not ready to put, I'm not willing to put that work in because I, I have this business that, that is taking off. Um, I love offering my guides and my courses. Um, and the client arm of my business is become really busy too. So I'm kind of in the midst of figuring out how to scale and, you know, do the best job I can do at my business. And I don't have the time or the effort or the energy to really put into making this book the best it can be. So for the moment, I put it on the back burner and I'm hoping to get to it um, in the next couple of years. I don't I don't know exactly when, but it will get out there eventually. Mm-hmm. And I will certainly be looking forward to reading it when it does. But, yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, I think um, I think this also kind of speaks to the heart of what um, even taking taking a break uh, from work or quitting your job to travel is about, you know, and it's just priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. And that's that's what I kind of realized is um, I just can't do everything right now. I can't do everything well. Um, I wouldn't feel good about it. And and so I'd like to wait until I can do it well. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Um. So in terms of um, I think one of the things that's so um, interesting about having this type of experience is it's got to be it's got to be very empowering because one time you've done it you know you've done it once and succeeded at it you could do it again so do you think you'll do anything like this again in the near future well 
I'm glad I did this when I did because honestly, I don't know if I would have the courage or the stamina to do it now. <laughs> um, I travel already. So I was, I was 27 when I took that trip and it was a very uncomfortable trip. It was a lot of bush taxis, a lot of bumping along, a lot of sleeping in not so nice places. <laughs> um, and that was my choice of trip. Obviously, you're, any of the, anyone listening could do it differently. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted that type of trip and it was awesome, but already like I'm 32 now, I can already feel myself, you know, I like to travel a little bit nicer than I did then. <laughs> um, I like comforts and so I'm glad I took that, that trip when I, when I did, but you're right. It definitely, it, a, I mean, it really let me know that exactly what I've told you earlier is that this is possible. And if you want to take time out to do something different, you can, and you just have to think about the best way to make it happen. Um, yeah. So I think it maybe, I mean, what's more important for me, I guess, is yes, it gives me the confidence to continue to travel throughout my life, but it also gives me the confidence to do other things differently. So I think if I hadn't gone on this, you know, trip that people thought was crazy, why would you go to Africa by yourself? Um, I maybe wouldn't have had the courage to leave my perfectly stable day job to run my own business. So it just, it gets you in the habit of doing things that push you outside your comfort zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. And taking risks. Right. There's another question I have for you. And the question is, you talked about the benefits of being young um, while doing this, but I think also it's easier to do when, you, when you're young because, um, you know, you have less income to replace. This is actually something... Uh, you've written about, so it's it's kind of easier to step away from that. Do you do you think this is only in reach for young people, or um, you know, can you do it when when you're older? Do you know of people who've done it when when they're older? Yeah, there definitely are. Um, you can find people. I'm, I'm just looking up the name of this guy, Kirk Horstead. His last name is H O R S T E D. He has a blog. I think it's called. Um, something like breakaway and he actually has a family um, he's older than me and and they make an effort every few years to take a career break and obviously now he's having to um, you know figure out how to do it with kids so there are definitely people who who do it later in life I do feel like it's easier to do it when you're younger in some ways and harder in some ways I mean when you're younger it's really difficult to fathom spending a lot of money on a trip when you don't necessarily have that money. And I'm sure this is a problem that a lot of your listeners have. It's like when you're young, you, you might have the time, but you don't have the money. And then you get older and you have the money, but you don't have the time to travel. And so I think whenever you get that urge to do it is when you should do it, whether that's when you're 23 or 29 or 35 or 45 or whatever. Um, I feel really satisfied now that I did that when I really wanted to do it um, because I do feel like I've kind of scratched that itch um, and I'm happy that I that I did it as well before I kind of had a family um, and got started on this entrepreneurial route um, because it is it is more difficult to leave um, once you've got a stable career but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it um, and I, I think even if you have a stable career, if you want to do something like this, you've got to figure out how to make it happen because otherwise it will eat at you <laughs> and you will want to do it forever. Absolutely. 
it's about seizing the moment. And I think that's, that's one thing, you know, if anyone listening is new to your blog or hasn't heard of you, um, that I think you're particularly good at conveying is that, you know, things are within reach if you, if you make them happen. I guess I wonder sometimes, like, do you, do you really think that, like, anyone who wants to can make this happen? Or, or, like, are there certain types of people that just this isn't within reach for? Well, I think probably anyone who's reading my blog can make it happen. There are, obviously, some of us have come from backgrounds that are more pr- privileged by uh, than others. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, by that, though, I don't mean... I think most people who live in developed countries can make this happen if they want to. It's really about choosing your priorities and remembering that um, just because everyone else does something one way, um, they're living their life a certain way, they have a huge house and a huge mortgage, or they have a job that requires them to work 70 hours a week, whatever, doesn't mean that you have to do it that way. Um, so I think for probably, I would say, 99% of the people who are listening to this podcast – it definitely is possible, but you have to think about what your priorities are and how can you rearrange your life um, to make this happen. You know, there might be certain things that you do have to let up, let go of, which is maybe buying that new car or buying that new condo or whatever. You can't have everything, so you've got to choose what your priorities are going to be. Mm-hmm. And so final question, Lexi. O- overall, when you look back on all of this, um, wh- what do you think is the most – um, unexpected thing that's come as a result. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, how it's, it's influenced your career path. Um, and, uh, you know, the book kind of took on an unexpected thing, but, you know, I'm just curious overall, like something or a connection kind of came of this that, that you really didn't expect when you first set out to, to travel. Hmm. I think I definitely changed me as a person and I guess I guess that was expected but the kind of change that I feel wasn't necessarily expected um it just when you travel to other places especially when you travel to places where people don't have um as much as you had growing up or as much as you have now um they might not have all the same opportunities that a lot of us have, um, you know, just sheerly from because we grew up in developed countries. I think experiencing that really makes you seize the moment. It really makes you realize how lucky you are um, and that you should do something with that luck. So you should do what you really want to do. Um, and I kind of wonder if I've always been an optimistic person and um, a hard worker who believes in, you know, trying to make things happen. But I wonder if because of some of those experiences I've had traveling, if, um, you know, that's why I'm, I'm so adamant that people should do what they, what makes them happy, um, rather than kind of floating along in life and that, you know, that you really can change the course that you're on if you want to. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Well, I think, I think that's um, a really good note to, to end on and I uh, can leave us all with um, a bit of inspiration. And um, I'll, of course, give out the, the links to your website and some of the posts that we talked about. But thanks so much for chatting. Um, I, you know, I always enjoy these conversations. And, uh, and as I said, I'll, you know, let listeners in on this. Um, you know, Lexi and I have worked together in the past and I'm basically always looking for excuses to work with her and talk to her because um, it's so fun. So, so thanks, Lexi. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jackie. I'm psyched to, especially after listening to the podcast for so long, I'm excited <laughs> to be on it. 